Well, welcome to the first day of May. We've made it. Spring is finally coming, I hope. I keep looking outside to see if the sun's shining, but things are growing, and our family of God is growing too. So these two white roses off to my left are representative of two adults who made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ this week. We can praise God for that. And that is our mission, right? That if we are disciples of Jesus, we are such because somebody told us, somebody invited us, whether it be God through his word or somebody who came alongside of us and invited us to to make a commitment of faith. Uh, As disciples of Jesus, we have a mission, and that is to make disciples and share our joy. And this series, uh, you've noticed we've sprinkled these in amongst messages. It's a series of letters in the word bless, and each one of them represents an action that we can take to further the mission that we've been given. Uh, About eight weeks ago, or if you measure it by beard growth, four inches, Trinity (laughs) preached on the B, which was begin with prayer. And today I'm going to talk about L, which is listen with care. For the sake of the rest of the letters, just so you can kind of know where we're at, E is to eat together, to share a meal with somebody. Uh, We have S, which is to serve one another. And then the last S is to just share your story, right? Talk about what God has done in your life. Listening is one of the easiest things and also one of the hardest things that you'll ever do. We live in a world that is filled with communication, People can, in so many ways, get into their, get their message out through uh, social media, through news, through, there's so many ways that we hear voices all around us. And in that way, listening's easy, because it's really hard to really just turn off all the voices that are going on around us. But it's also hard, because distractions are a real thing. <laughs> Might be the bulletin for you this morning. Uh, distractions are just a thing, right? We, we have things that come into our lives, and I thought that this video would illustrate a little bit more about that. So check this out. Go after you, Jerry. No, no, Barry, I insist. You were here first, Jerry. Now, Bear, don't make me call HR on you. <laughs> <laughs> And my grandpa was trying to put a sweater on over his head, but he didn't have his glasses. So we're all like there saying, hey, come on, grandpa, hold the phones here. Blah, 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 blah. Wait, is that bacon I'm smelling? I'm going to find that bacon and I'm going to eat it. I may even throw a bacon party. I'll invite everyone in the office to come to my bacon party. <laughs> I am so going to get that raise. Blah, blah, blah. We loved him so. Oh, yeah, you know what? That reminds me of the time we went camping. I took three pounds of bacon in case there were bears. Uh, we went out to the Hawakatows, which is... Here we go. Another Jerry story. I'd rather cram a miniature replica statue of the Empire State Building into my ear than listen to this garbage. Surely, surely they make adult size underwear somewhere. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I do love camping, so. Yeah, I bet they make Spider Man ones too. <laughs> but can it go like that sometimes? Where. We are there and listening to somebody, but really we're not paying that close of attention. 
See, listen, listening is really a mission-critical activity that we have in our lives. In fact, if you think of just family life, for example, if you don't listen well, marriage doesn't go super well. If you don't listen well as a child, then family life and sibling interactions don't go super well either. We think of listening when it comes to our relationship with God. If we don't listen to God, there's consequence for that. Listening at work, you could easily lose your job for not listening. And if you really want to get something out of today's sermon, it's going to require just a little bit of listening to pay attention to what's going on. Why is it so hard to listen? Uh, First of all, I got to say, I'm really humbled to have to give the L and bless message because I am a gifted, selective listener. (laughs) For some reason, I can hear a twig breaking in the woods 100 yards away. But if my wife's sitting on the couch next to me and says, hey, would you turn the channel to Hallmark? I can't hear that real well. (laughs) Don't know why. There's so many things that get in the way of good listening. And I I put a few barriers down as I was brainstorming this week and thinking about maybe some of the barriers that I've experienced, ones I've heard other people share are barriers to really listening. Uh, The first one is not caring, right? If you don't genuinely care for somebody, then when you listen to them, you really don't listen to them the same way, right? But if you care for somebody, you're listening to their words and paying attention to what they're saying. Uh, Distractions are another one, right? So we have distractions everywhere. In fact, even coming up on stage, like I leave my phone out of my pockets because those notifications, they just get to me. Like, I don't know how some people do it. Okay, maybe my wife. Uh, She has 3,000 emails that are unread and it's the notification shows up there. And I'm like, I can't handle that. As soon as the one little red dot shows up and it says, hey, you got to check this out for this thing. Like, it's compulsive, That's listening, right? Barriers to listening would be distractions. We have them all over. Another barrier to listening is getting ready to respond, right? You've never done this before, where somebody's sharing their opinion on something, and maybe you disagree, and you're like, oh, I gotta gotta think my argument through, and then get ready, and then share what I'm gonna share, or it makes you think of a time that you experienced that, and you just wanna talk about yourself, so then you're thinking about that, and you wanna share your story, and we've all been guilty of this at some time. The last one that I wrote down here was making assumptions. So easy to make assumptions about what the situation's going on, what you're actually hearing, and and filling in the story when the story wasn't actually meant to be told that way. But we think we know what somebody's saying, and so then we fill in the blanks in our heads, and, oh, you're really talking about this. And, And you know when somebody hasn't listened well to you because they're filling in a different story that's going on. Well, today we're going to look at the book of Mark, Mark chapter 10. So if you have your phone, and maybe you don't want to use your phone, maybe you just want to follow along on the screen or in the pew Bible in front of you, but we're going to look at the book of Mark, and we're going to look at what Jesus did, because Jesus gives us some very specific and practical ways that we can work on our listening. So Mark chapter 10, and while you're turning there, uh, just to fill in a little bit of the gaps in the story here. Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. That's where he's headed. He is going through Jericho. And if you read the Mark and Matthew account, or the Luke and Matthew account of what Mark says, you're like, well, one says he's coming to Jericho, one says he's leaving Jericho. That's because there are actually two Jerichos within a mile of each other. One of them was the city in ruins that the people of Israel marched around, and then the walls came crumbling down, that story. So that city was there. But then there was this other Jericho that Herod the Great built. 
And this was a lush, like, desert oasis. So it's middle of all this desert. There's a spring-fed, palm-covered area called Jericho. And that city was just a beautiful garden city. And so we have Jesus who is going through uh, one Jericho and the next, and he's encountering people. And this is where he encountered Zacchaeus, uh, the wee little man. I find that term very offensive. The fun-sized little man. And Jesus met Zacchaeus, and he told him to come down to the tree, and then he ate with him, and then this whole thing was going on. And now he's going on to the other side of Jericho, and he encounters some more people. And in the midst of all this, you have this huge crowd, because this crowd is gathering because they are, like Jesus, moving to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And so there's a lot of things going on, about 18 miles between Jerusalem and Jericho, and they're on this road. And here we go in the text. So starting with verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. The word of God. It's really a fascinating story for a lot of reasons. The context of the situation had to have been electric because people by this time have heard of Jesus's miracles. They've, they've understood Jesus to be this very polarizing character in history who, you know, the, he was either infamous with the Pharisees and religious leaders or famous among the people who he healed and who he brought life to. And so you have this this amazing situation where all these crowded people are gathering around him. They're moving to the Passover meal up in Jerusalem. And as they're going, they're probably thinking things like, is he the one? Is he the one who's going to bring Israel back into its glory and throw the Romans out? And all this crowd and all this excitement. And then you get the blind beggar, Bartimaeus. It's interesting because in Aramaic, uh, bar means son of. So if you were reading this in Aramaic, Mark repeats himself here and says, bar, son of Timaeus, in parentheses, son of Timaeus. So we don't actually know this guy's name. We just know that he was the son of Timaeus. So we have blind beggar. Actually, there was two of them there. If you read the Matthew account, there was a second one, but Mark focuses just on the son of Timaeus in this moment. And makes you ask the question, what do we learn about listening with care from Jesus in Mark chapter 10? There's three things that we learn. The first thing is this, notice people, to notice people. Jesus was the miracle performing potential national savior who casted out demons and taught with ultimate authority. Yet he took time to notice people. Bartimaeus, interesting enough, or the son of Timaeus, we know because of his name Timaeus that it was, he was Greek. 
right? So his father's name was a Greek name, so likely this man was a non-Jew. That's important to the story because we know throughout Scripture, as you read through the Gospels, Jesus focused on bringing the good news to the Jews first, before he then went to the Gentiles. But his mission was to seek and save the lost. And so you have Jesus, here's a non-Jew, a social outcast, a beggar. By all accounts, this man should not have been engaged by Jesus. He shouldn't have been. He wasn't among the status of people that, that you would think would gather around this famous man who's going to Jerusalem on this mission. He wasn't like Jesus at all. But yet that was exactly who Jesus noticed. See, Jesus does this. He notices people who are not like him. He's gravitated toward them. His mission demanded it. Um, I had a friend uh, back in the Twin Cities who uh, worked out at Lifetime Fitness, and I met a young man there by the name of Abhishek. And Abhishek was from India. He came over with his parents and just a really neat guy. I uh, was going to school for law enforcement at the tech school local to where I was and uh, was working at the grocery store. So I saw him a ton as he was managing at Cub Foods. And I got to interact a ton with Abhishek. And, and I just felt drawn to him. He was very different from me. Okay, he, different skin color, different religious preference. He grew up in a Hindu uh, culture. He was taller than me, which isn't unusual because most people are. Um, but here was Abhishek, right? And, and so I just, I felt drawn to get to know this guy. I really wanted to know his story and get to know him. And I, every time I was in there, we, we just would have conversation. And he would tell me about, and I really respected him for this and loved him for it, about how he cared for his parents, who had some really significant medical things going on. And in their culture in India, they, I mean, the kids really did lean into taking care of their parents. And so he was working a job on top of going to school in order to pay for his parents' medical expenses because of what they were going through. Just a really, really neat guy. And my heart started to stir for him. And I was like, I ah, just, I know he's Hindu and I, and I have an understanding of what that means and what that looks like. And I've asked him some questions and, but I really wanted to tell him about Jesus. I just, I wanted him to know who Jesus was. And so I began with prayer, which is the first B in blessing. Now that that's hard to do when you start praying. Like, God does stuff. He, he wants people to witness and share who Jesus is with other people. So if you start praying for people, you'll probably get an opportunity because that's close to the heart of God. And so here I was praying for my friend Abishak, and I just was like, God, just give me, give me an opportunity just to, to open the Bible and share Jesus with them. I just, I really want to, and, and I haven't felt like the moment was right, and I didn't want to be pushy just to give them, you know, a little bit of what I, where I'm at with Christ and what this is like. And so I was praying, and I go to the gym the next day, and Abishak was in there, and he was spotting me on the bench, and I'm like lifting a really heavy weight, and he's like, hey, he's like, hey, I'm in this class for law enforcement about cultural sensitivity, and he's like, I got to learn about other religions. Can I come to your church, and you just just tell me about what you believe and like Spencer and I'm, like, and I'm about dropping this weight on my neck right I'm like well, of course yeah like absolutely so uh, next week he came by the church and he's like well so tell me what do you do in this room and why do you believe this and we're sharing all these things and and so I kind of open the bible to him and talk to him about Jesus and share my faith and it was just an amazing opportunity that never would have happened had I not noticed somebody that was different from me that I pursued. You see, it's human nature to gravitate towards people like us. 
right? People who have the same religious preference, people who have uh, the same maybe life stage or, or feelings about a certain sports team or, or, or just whatever kinds of things we, we gather around in life. We like to be around people who agree with us, who, who are like us, who look like us and, and, and act like us. We, being around people like that are comfortable, that's human nature. But our mission requires that we notice people. Jesus did that. 2 Corinthians 5.16, Paul talks about it this way. He says, so from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Although we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying what you see externally, (laughs) don't regard anyone based on that. We look at people based on if they know Christ or they don't know Christ. That's how Jesus saw the son of Timaeus. He saw a man who had a need in his life, who was very, very different from him. And he noticed him and he called out to him. And the second thing that we learn, which is what Jesus did, is he created space. He created space for the son of Timaeus. What does that mean? You see, nobody would have questioned if Jesus kept on going. If that, you know, the blind men were, were hollering, Jesus, come on, pay attention to me. And Jesus kept going, who would, who would be like, oh, well, Jesus just totally, you know, shunned that guy. Nobody would have thought different about it. We know this because what does the crowd do? <laughs> be quiet. He doesn't have time for you. The crowd expected him to just keep going. But Jesus created space. I, I think about what Jesus must have been feeling in this moment. I mean, He was heading to Jerusalem. He just got done telling his disciples for the third time that he was going to be crucified. The weight of the sin of the world was on him. We know it was emotional because the the night before he was crying in the garden and he he was sweating blood because he was so filled with anguish over what lay ahead of him in obedience to the Father by going to the cross. And so here's Jesus 18 miles away from Jerusalem where he is going to be crucified that's on his mind, has to be. He has to be thinking about it. I know when, when I get laser focused on things, it's so easy, and my wife accuses me of this all the time, like everything else just kind of goes away, right? Like if you just get laser focused and you have a mission, it's like that's all I can think about is that mission, and I can't get past it. It must have been really hard for Jesus with that large crowd, what he was going to do, A lot of things were competing for his attention in this moment. He was just probably distracted by all this stuff, but yet he wasn't. Because what does the text say? Jesus stopped. He stopped. And he made space. During the middle of his final ascent to Jerusalem, where he was going to be crucified, he stopped and he made space for a non-Jewish, blind, social outcast who needed him. And he made that space. Um, coming up here in May, uh, on May 11th, I'm leading a men's retreat. And so if you're not signed up for it and you're a guy in this room, I'd highly encourage you to come. We go to Trout Lake Camp and we spend some time just doing outdoor stuff. And oh, by the way, it's on a lake. So if somebody says, well, hey, that's fishing opener, bring your boat because we'll go fishing. Uh, we spend time with other men. We get in the word. We challenge each other. There's a lot of fun things to do up there. And it's really a good time. Uh, super encouraging. Well, last year on this same retreat, A friend of mine from another church, he had brought a man I hadn't met before, this new guy, to the retreat. And as the weekend went along, I started to get to know this guy. And I was like, you know, how did he get here? Like, I mean, obviously you brought him, but he's a friend. Like, who who is this guy? He was my friend's Uber driver. 
So what happened was he, my buddy would go places for business and would have to fly and go different spots. And so he would always take the same Uber driver and he got to become really good friends with this driver. And on the way to the men's retreat, he's having this conversation with this guy and this guy was having kind of a, a rough time and just, uh, just really discouraged. And he wasn't a Christian, uh, just didn't know anything about faith, but just having a, a difficult go at it in life. And so this guy says, hey, why don't you come with on the men's retreat? I'll pay for you. Like, just come. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Well, then Saturday night, we're sitting around, we're worshiping, and I got to imagine this is super awkward for this guy who's never like been in a church or been, uh, doesn't know like why we're doing these things or what the word of God is. And, and the guy who's presenting gets up front and he shares the gospel message. And my friend's Uber driver comes to Christ. How easy would it have been to just ridden in that man's car and not made space for him? But yet he made space so much so that he was willing to put skin in the game and pay for this other man to go with him on this retreat, which changed the eternal destiny of that guy. Because he made space. Nobody would have questioned Jesus, just like nobody would have questioned my friend for not inviting his Uber driver on a men's retreat. But he did. And because of that, Somebody else is going to be in the family of God. Just a, it, it just gives me goosebumps thinking about it. He made space, and he listened to that man, and he invited him in. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, he says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. And here's where it gets really juicy. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. You know what Paul's doing there? He's making space. He's making space for people in his life by not taking a position that would offend somebody right? His political viewpoint, how he feels about COVID restrictions, maybe his favorite sports team and, 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 and you know, where he lives or things that he likes to do, his preferences. He just became like the people that were around him so that he could make space to share Jesus with them. It's a beautiful picture of being super intentional. You see, you've had to do this before. If you're a spouse or a parent or a student or an employee, those things that are so important to you that you know, this is my job, this is who I am, and this is what I got to do, you'll do hard things and maybe let go of some things in order to do what you're called to do. And that's what Paul's saying about us as disciples is that, look, be mission-centered and other-focused. Let go of the preferences you have. Focus only on who Jesus is. And if that offends people, then so be it. That's what offends people. But Paul made space and he did it out of love. The third and final thing is this. Ask questions. Ask questions. Sounds pretty simple. Um, if you've been around me long enough and you've been in any of my classes or men's groups or Sunday school, uh, you'll notice that I have a particular style of teaching. 
Uh, I love inductive method teaching. Why do I love that? Because I just don't want to give people answers all the time. Uh, telling has its place. Uh, telling has a place you know, for a sermon, and there are certain class situations where you just listen and take information in, and, and those are important in their time. But asking also has a very significant role too. Because when you ask somebody, they're the ones who are working through what's going on and trying to come up with, well, how do I, what do I believe about this text and how do I understand it? So whenever I lead a study, I'll do an inductive Bible study and I'll have everyone read the text. And I trust that the Holy Spirit of God in each and every one of you as you read it would maybe bring new insight into the group. Because, oh, by the way, if you ever miss a small group or a class, it's not that you missed it, it's that we missed you. It's a different way to think about it because I believe that everybody who has the spirit of God in them has something to contribute. It's it's asking versus telling, right? It's thinking this way. So you get this situation with Jesus and it's, it's really brilliant what he does here. But Jesus is in this moment with the blind man and it should be super clear. He's blind. He also needs Christ because he's a non-Jew. What does Jesus do? He asks him the question, what do you want me to do for you? Notice what he doesn't do, though. He doesn't say, well, if you're, if you're seeing, you'd be better. You need to be not blind anymore, or you need Jesus, or let me show you this text, or talk to you about this, or share the four spiritual laws. He does none of that. He just asks a simple question. He just says, what do you want me to do for you? And here's the beauty of what happens here. It forces the blind man in this moment to own what he's about to do, and that is his faith in Jesus Christ. Because the blind man then has to say what he wants, and by saying what he wants, he's indicating faith in Jesus. Catch that? So when he says, Rabbi, I I want to see, he's believing in that moment that Jesus can help him see, and thereby expressing his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. One simple question. And this man is professing his faith. It's really brilliant what Jesus does here in this moment. It's relational. It's relational. It's not transactional. This is a point of my life and a point of contention that I've heard for a lot of people. But I know and love a lot of people that don't know Jesus Christ. And I get anxiety about that sometimes because I, I want people to know how good God is and how great it is to be free from a life of sin and follow and pursue Christ. I want people to know that. And sometimes I get anxiety about that and I'll have family members who don't agree with me and I'll try telling them this is what you should believe and this is what you think. And, and because of that anxiety, I probably don't come off the way very relational and definitely not always the best way with people when that happens. But Jesus just takes a different approach right? Because it's not about us. It's about that person and the spirit of God at work in their life and what happens when you ask a question. So look at 1 Thessalonians with me. It'll be on the screen here. Paul says this, and when, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human words, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work and you who believe. What works in people is not me. It's the word of God. I just bring the word of God to people. It's not really about me, and it's not about you. And then you look at 1 Corinthians 6, 6 through 7, and Paul says this, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. 
The point is this. We don't convert anybody. We don't. You can have the best apologetic argument ever known to man to bring to your friend who's an agnostic and doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. And you can set it up and and articulate it and have all the facts and research and people will still say, you know, eh, maybe not. Because it's not about us. It's about the Holy Spirit and God working in them because he is who makes things grow. And the best way to get past that anxiety and that tension about, I really want this person to know the Jesus I know, is by simply asking a question. Hey, so tell me, Abishak, tell me about what you believe about Hinduism. I really want to know and genuinely care for people. Because then by doing that, he's having to wrestle with, is this really the way? Jesus just does it so well. It's really a low view of ourselves and a high view of God. Don't give in to the anxiety or the lie that you can mess things up either because you can't, right? Well, actually, really the way we do mess it up is if we try to do God's job. But if I just simply ask questions and lean into somebody's life and listen with care, it allows them to process maybe what God's doing on their heart and brings them into a relationship with God in a way that I never could. So here's your challenge. Doing God's work in God's way means listening to those around us. A lot of distractions out there. How are we going to create space? How will we notice people who are different from us, same way Jesus did? And what does it look like to ask questions? God recklessly loved us while we were yet still sinners. He cared for us. He came to us. He died for us and he lives for us. And if we have the same heart and compassion of reckless love that God had for other people, if we have that for others, listening with care, we'll introduce people to the God of this universe. Just will. They'll see Jesus in you as you bless them. Would you bow with me as we pray? God, as I think about how much you loved me and love me and love us, Lord, you didn't relent. You pursued. You listened to me. You hear my stuff, passionate about me, God. You let me work out my salvation in fear and trembling most days, and you do that for all of us. God, I pray that you would help us to be those people to those in this world, that we would invite people to know you, not by telling them what they should believe, but by just asking them who they know and how that person brings them life and introduce Jesus to them. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.